So I invite you to just notice your next breath. And you take that breath in, the next one. Whatever your rhythm may be, just hold it for a, a count of three before you let it out. Allow the breath to be the pathway in and down. Opening your heart, grounding you in this moment. Nothing to fix, nothing to do, but just simply be. As Father Richard Rohr says, you can't get there, you can only be there. So let us be grounded in our, our true self, our, our souls in the care of the soul, and in the discovery of the soul. And so as we move into that, I invite you, if you're familiar with the words and like to join me, please feel free. And if not, just allow the, the words to continue, the, the, the song to continue to take you deeper, more present. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So join me in prayer. And what I affirm and know in the, in the first person, but on behalf of each person here, is that there is a power and a presence a beauty and a joy, a field of vibrational frequency that is the divine. <clears throat> and so that life, that frequency, and how it shows up in, in form, in and through and as each and every one of us, is our life. The only activity there is is the activity of the infinite, the divine, of spirit, of God. So affirming that and knowing that, I am shifted and changed and open to that possibility. And so I just give thanks this day for this gathering, for, this, for the music, for the fellowship, for this community of like-minded individuals that continue to stand on the, the precipice of consciousness and push that envelope forward individually and collectively so that the greater yet to be may be revealed. I know that this discussion this day and the, and the welcoming of this, the deepening of the soul and the, the strategies, the tools, and the skills to expand that awareness and to expand that reality in our lives is alive and dynamic today that seeds are planted in this moment that continue to blossom and grow in every good way. And so I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation knowing everything required, necessary, and that is of benefit in this moment and each moment hereafter becomes obvious and clear in my own awareness. And for this I give thanks and inviting you to say, and so it is, amen. Beautiful. Well, good morning. Here we are. So we have been using um, Panache Desai's book, Discovering Your Soul Signature, and it's a 33-day um, lesson in um, various 
aspects or characteristics of our journey that I think are worth uh, exploring and looking at. And so, um, the first, and so it's broken up into 33 days, 33 lessons. What I would recommend to you is that as we, we've discovered in some of the patterns in The One Thing by Gary Keller that we used last month, that it takes on average about 66 days to establish a habit or a new pattern. That's the average. Some take longer, some are shorter. You know, up until that point of reading that, I thought it was 21 days, but it is actually 66. So there's 33 lessons, so it might suggest that we might want to go through the book twice. And I would also suggest to you that those qualities in the book that you really don't want to look at are probably the ones that you would be most benefited by looking at. So, but I'll let you be the judge of that. So, planting the seeds of growth this month and the myths that shape us. The first seven days in Panache's book are the following. Fear, to look at fear, to look at sadness, to look at anger, to look at guilt, shame, self-judgment, and patterns. So all things that we delight in looking at, don't we? Very popular. You know, come to the workshop, the five-day workshop on fear. Oh, they'd, be, they'd be kicking the door in to get in on that one. But I want to touch on some of the qualities that he talks about in the book and expand a little bit on some of the ideas around mythology. Because what we love and what we give our attention to becomes the mythology of our lives. And this, this whole theme has, is, goes back to antiquity when, when man first started thinking and processing and recording things. And, and coming up with myths are those stories that help represent the longings, those inherent, those inherent longings within all of us for meaning and for connection. And so it's quite fascinating work. It's very deep work and, um, and very valuable, I think. So fear being the first one, fear will keep us safe, but it'll also keep us small. We'll have a tendency not to move out in the world and try and do much because, you know, bad things could happen. So if bad things are gonna happen, Einstein said we either, we either decide that life is for us or against us. One of the basic questions all of us have to answer. He talks about the strategy of thanking fear for what it has done for us, what it has grown for us where at times all of a sudden fear has become transformed and we realize, why, what am I afraid of here? And, and the third idea being I'm willing to, to be able to say to oneself, I'm willing to walk into the unknown because fear keeps us from the unknown. And so if we, as we build the capacity to, to move into new territory, to new ideas and new practices, it sends that message of I'm willing to walk into the unknown. The next one is sadness. Sadness is, is heavier than fear, so it's, but it's just underneath fear. And sadness, as he says, is a blessing. Sadness can be a blessing in our lives. Sadness is, uh, when we allow ourselves, it's the ability to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and feel things. And when we're, we allow ourselves that, there's something that has an opportunity to have its way by means of us. And I would say that that's that soul's language. That's that mystery of the soul. That's that ability to just realize that, you know, I, I said, uh, I had the awareness preparing this week. Ernest Holmes, one of my favorite sayings is, he would frequently say, I don't know, but something within me does know. And I, for years, thought, I assumed that that something would then tell me or inform me of what it is I don't know. But it never has. But I realized, you know, I've always thought that something within me does know. And of course, because I've agreed with that, then of course it's going to be made clear to me. And it never is. 
But what is, what is mine to know and, and what allows me to do is to stand in faith and realize part of life's mystery. Life is a mystery at times. There are parts of this journey that we will never understand, and no, nor should we. And part of the soul work that, that Thomas More writes about in Care of the Soul is, is, is welcoming that mystery and understanding we don't have all the answers, nor will we have all the answers. Because that's not the, that's not the experience of the soul. The, the soul is that deep connection with the infinite. It is the I am that I am. That is, that is throughout Scripture. Buddha said life is suffering. And once we understand that, once we know that and accept that, it's, it's less painful because it is challenging. There's heartbreak along life. There's, there's disappointment. There's betrayal. There's all kinds of things that go on. It, with life, that in, in, in our teaching, it's easy to fall into the trap that everything is perfect and everything should be joy and lovely and fantastic, and I'm all for that. I'm all for the good. I'm always pulling for the pleasure. But what happens for us many times is we'll set an intention in, in a class of, of some capacity to set a new intention, move in that direction, and I think all that's very important and very valuable. But what will happen is the sum total of who we are in consciousness if there's an error belief or there's a restriction there or something that blocks that experience. And Panache's work in here is all about these, these emotions block that capacity to be in a greater flow of life, to be connected with the soul, which is what Thomas More is talking about in Care of the Soul. And so then it becomes our opportunity or our responsibility to then do the work there, that, that work that is, that is there. Because it's, it's, I think it's naive of us to think that, that we incarnated in this life you know, we are as above, so below, that, our, that who we are uh, began with this life, that life is eternal. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I think to think that I'm in this form. So what I'm, I guess what I'm suggesting is perhaps some things that we showed up with are part of the, the, the genealogy of our families. Um, perhaps it's from uh, past experiences before we were in this form. I don't, you know, I don't know, but I think it's a bit naive to think that it all begins and ends with this physical form if we are the I am that I am. And we're all connected collectively. There is just only one life that we all participate in individually. So sadness is something that typically we don't want to look at. The next one is anger. And he talks about, Panache talks about anger can be really uh, an extremely positive thing. It can really get us moving in a certain direction. Anger becomes an encumberment or, or not an advantage when we decide that we need to act upon it. We need to revenge ourselves. We need to strike out and hurt someone. Anger can really get us moving. Rage can get us moving in a direction to pour our energy and, 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 and skills into a certain area of our lives. He says, with anger is, is to identify it and breathe into it. So, in other words, that, that our f emotions go where we decide. We're not dragged along with our emotions. And he talks about having the awareness with it when it's, when it's really bubbling up in you to allow it to move through you. But what we can do is we'll, we'll continue to gather it and gather it and gather it. And before long, it's, it's affecting our health, it's affecting all our relationships, it's affecting every aspect of our life in a way that's just... Not, not productive. And it blocks, once again, that, that deep living from our soulfulness. So in other words, we'll probably never stop being angry at times, but it's how we manage it when, it when it bubbles up. Guilt. Guilt is the next one. Guilt is staying stuck in the past. 
because we had a certain experience, bless you, because we had a certain experience that now it identifies us forever and ever and ever. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to to identify and to, to reference back to the mistake we made. It impedes, what guilt does, it impedes our ability to receive everything and anything. There's only so much can get in because who are we to deserve to be loved and, and, and prospered and blessed? If you only knew the things I've done that I carry with me. But what, what is a healthier practice? To realize, oh, I made a mistake over here. And part of life, part of the soul work is to be lost at times. It is to be on the journey and not understand all of it. You know, I love that work by George Leonard. It talks about being on that spiritual plateau where it doesn't feel like anything is happening. But when we've got established spiritual practices in our lives, things are happening. We're on the plateau. It's not an aha moment and an aha moment. It's not this workshop and then everything is fantastic. It's actually doing the workshop and then taking some of those skills and tools from it, incorporating that into your toolbox and making that a way of life. And it keeps us on that plateau. Guilt is a self-inflicted wound that we can continue to inflict, inflict, and inflict. And then, but it's not fatal. So he uses the metaphor in here of, of, uh, with, with, with shame, which is the next one. Because guilt, well, we just did guilt. What's the, guilt and shame, aren't they the same thing? No. See, guilt we'll talk about a little bit. We'll share. But shame, we don't tell anybody. Because we have such shame about it. It, for, it, it creates isolation from one another, so it restricts intimacy. And of course, if we're restricting intimacy with one another, it restricts intimacy with all of life, which is the divine relationship, with the relationship with the soul, with that, that true self. So we're unworthy to receive what life has to offer, which is that very similar to the guilt. He, talk, he uses a metaphor in there, one of the practices in, in his book. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a great little book he has a morning, afternoon, and an evening practice with each one of these qualities. And, and so before you go to bed, you do some work around it. You set an intention. You create an agreement with this higher wisdom self to do some work while you're sleeping. And in that, he talks about using the metaphors. You're in, lying in bed, and, and, and all the shame that you have, I think it was the shame, works for any of these qualities, though, that they all represent an arrow. There's arrows sticking. You know, Maybe you look like a... Thanksgiving Day turkey with all your arrows, but whatever it may be. And so then to take the practice of removing the arrows one by one. And you'll still have a mark where the arrow went in, but you're just pulling it out and saying, you know, I'm not going to carry that anymore. I did, I did that, but that was part of my learning. That was part of my growth. That was part of a mistake or what a perceived mistake. It was an experience that I needed to have so that I could make a new choice, so that I could come into a new awareness. And he says to, to shine a light on it. Once again, shine a light on it. It is not punishing us. It is there for a reason, for our own awakening. The next one is self-judgment. So in self-judgment, we become our own Judge Judy. You ever seen the show Judge Judy? She'll let you have it. But we become our own Judge Judy. You're stupid, you're dumb, you're fat, you're ugly. You don't deserve, you're not enough, you're incompetent, on and on and on and on. And that's, a, that's spiritual practice for most people. I mean, the majority of people are running around out in the world. That is their inner dialogue. It is it any wonder that they're miserable? It becomes their own private hell. And the way out of it is acceptance. The way out of this, that situation is just saying, oh, you know what? That's part of who I am. But that's the soul work. 
That's the soul work to realize, you know, it's not all light. It's the darkness and the light. It is both. I just don't, you know, part of this is standing on our own authority, our own spiritual authority. And having the, the, healthy, the healthy sense of, of self and the presence of mind to realize that it's both the light and the dark, but it's all God. It's set up that way. How many of us have, have avoided any type of pain in our lives? Disappointment, struggle, suffering. And the last one he invites us to look at is patterns. Patterns of, that we have in our lives. We may have patterns that will never go away. That's a new one in a teaching that says that my thinking creates my experience. Our thinking does create our experience. But that pattern may be with you forever. And so then, what's the goodness there? What's the godness in that? Well, as we shift and change and evolve in consciousness, our relationship with the pattern shifts and changes. And instead of when we, strip, we, we trip on that step and it cripples us for months and years at a time, we find ourselves slipping on it now. Oh, it's like, oh, there I am slipping again. And it takes moments, not years, not weeks, not, you know, years and years in therapy. That's my pattern. And so the pattern, we trust the pattern, realize, wow, this is part of it. And eventually that pattern, I, I believe, shifts. But I think that there's certain things, and rather than say, oh, I've got this pattern, I've got this propensity for this, to realize, oh, there's that pattern that I used to hate or I used to get angry, it used to trigger me, fire me in some way, to realize, oh, there's that pattern. Oh, there it is. There is that. My need to please everyone, there it is. That's what's getting triggered here. Stop that. You know, I don't do that. I want to be in a healthy relationship. I want to own what's mine and put down what's not mine. That's wisdom. And that takes years and years of practice, of tripping and tripping and tripping. In this pattern, in that chapter, he talks about imagining your older, wiser self. And there's a spiral staircase, and you're standing at the top of the spiral staircase as your older, wiser self, and your younger self is coming up, and you reach a hand down to help them up because they're tripping on the steps still. And what do you say to them? What's the dialogue? Because it's going to be okay. You are the I am that I am that I am. You are the I am. Your soul is the I am. It's not your body. It's not your thoughts. Your soul can inform your thoughts if you're connected to it, but otherwise it's the egoic nature. And standing in that authority is just building your, your house on, on, on sand. There's no foundation. But so many of us do that. So it's looking at these patterns in our lives. You know, or some say we must look at a thing long enough till it no longer has power over us. So it's not about denying them. It's just learning, wow, this is part of me. This is the heartbreak. So I was raised in a, in a family that practiced this addiction and there was, there was violence and there were, there were things that happened that were horrific. And I'm not saying any of that is pleasant or good or that we want that for anyone. But if we're in that, then how do we take that experience and use that as, as fuel to, for our own tr transformational work? Because that's part of it as well. Otherwise, when we do our affirmations over that, we're just using um, our teaching as a spiritual bypass. And so as we start to move in those new directions, all of a sudden people will say to me, man, it's worse than it's ever been. 
you know, I came to you and I wanted prayer around abundance and now it's even worse. The, the, the bills have doubled. I'll say, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. You're challenging the status quo of your belief system. Hang in there. Because that part of you that is so entrenched in lack and limitation is going, this is who we are. This is who I am. Stop it. How dare you think that you can live in, in freedom and peace and joy? This is who we are. And so when we stand in that spiritual authority, we have enough practice in our lives to realize, oh yeah, this too came to pass. So it's fear, it's sadness, anger, guilt, shame, self-judgment, and patterns. So I want to share with you this uh, from Thomas More's book, The Care of the Soul, which is such a good companion for what Panache is talking about, because he's talking about the day-to-day. He's talking about those things that challenge us. And he's got all these wonderful, beautiful ideas and insights and practices in each chapter each day. And I believe that when we start to look at those things, where it's alive in us will come up. So we get a chance to look at it and go, ah, not anymore. You know, David White, the poet, used to say, after a while, don't you, you just get tired of who you are. And I like that. It's like, you're just boring. It's the same crisis, drama, and chaos all the time. And he said, eventually, if you're on the path, you just get bored with yourself. It's like, time for a new me. Man, I've been telling that same story over and over and over again. So this, this uh, next slide is a slide. It's the most current picture I could get. <clears throat> this is from Homer's Odyssey, and this is Odysseus. And Odysseus is a protagonist. He's the hero. He's also known as Ulysses. The Romans called him Ulysses. And so he goes on this journey, and it's a legendary journey. And he goes on this journey on the sea. So in this, in this scenario, God is a sea god. He's not a heaven god. But Odysseus goes on this journey, and, and he's, he's challenged. He meets his dead mother, and, he, and, he, um, he's, and the sirens. This is a picture of him on the boat. He's strapped to the mast. And the sirens are these beautiful women that sing this beautiful song that tempt all these men into their clutches, and then they destroy them. So he tells all of his men to, to pack their ears with wax so they can't hear it, and then he st- instructs them to, to strap him to the mast so he won't be seduced by it. But anyway, his, his whole journey is fraught with all of these various challenges. But at the core of it, is, as uh, Thomas More says, is this idea of uh, he's longing to learn how to be a father. Part of this is he's longing to learn how to be a father. So his journey is 10 years of this, these experiences and challenges that shape his consciousness because he longs to be a father. And his son is at home. His, his son is uh, Telemachus. And Telemachus is home with his mom, Penelope. And nobody knows where Odysseus is, and they think he's, he's dead. So all these guys are coming into the house and trying to court Penelope, thinking Odysseus is dead, and it's driving his son nuts. It's like, wait a minute, my dad, we don't know if my dad's dead. What are you guys doing? Driving him crazy. And he's longing for a father. He's longing to be fathered, and Odysseus is longing to become a father. And this is all about the care of the soul. We don't, we don't teach this well in our culture. We don't have strong father figures. We have people that get a certain way of life and then they want to make a mini-me out of their children. Well, this is how I do it and this is... And we don't encourage the mystery of life. We don't encourage our children to sometimes not know, to fail sometimes, and to learn what they're going to learn in the failure. Oh, no, let's fix this. Let's wrap you in bubble wrap so you never... We don't want any tears here. Oh, my God, you're so precious. And you're perfect, whole, and complete. So, and that means that nothing ever bothers you. 
And that was Buddha's story. Buddha's mom and dad, he lived in the, in the palace. He was the prince. And then his soul said, hmm, what's all that? And he saw suffering one day. He said, explain this to me. And he was so touched by it and moved and realized, oh my God, people suffer. And out of that, out of that desire to isolate him, but is this not our story many times with our children? And it's a balancing act because we don't want our children in harm's way, but we've got to let our kids have their own experience. We've got to have our own experience sometimes with the pain and the suffering because it's there to transform us. It's, it's divinely guided. So Odysseus' son is longing for a father. So what happens? The time he's away, he finds someone to be the surrogate dad, to mentor him. You know what the mentor's name is? Mentor. Mentor shows up to mentor him. Go figure that, huh? What's your name? Mentor. Oh, what do you think you'll be? Jeez, I don't know yet. But it's this, this longing, and it's, it's, it's so beautifully articulated here by, uh, by Thomas More in the book, Care of the Soul. He says, if the father seems absent in families today, that may be because he's absent as a soul figure in the society as large. We have replaced secret wisdom with information. Information does not invoke fatherhood, and it does not affect initiation. There are times also that we may need to be weak and powerless, vulnerable and open to experience as were Odysseus and and Tristan. Tristan is part of the Irish legend of uh, mythology, both of whom, whom use their wits rather than their muscle. The sea is fate, as emphasized and, and illustrated in this myth. The world one is born into. The, world, the sea is fate, the world one is born into. It is unique and individual, always uncharted, teeming with its own dangers, pleasures, and opportunities. One becomes a father to one's own life by becoming intimately acquainted with it and by daring to traver, traverse its waters. I'm talking here about a deep father figure that settles into the soul to provide a sense of authority, the feeling that you are the authority of your own life. This isn't just for men. And so how do we stand in that authority? And what we're talking about is that deep connection with the truth of our being, our soul, which is part of the mystery. It's okay not to know. But we're going to get through this. You're going to get through it. You know, I love the work of Brene Brown. She always says, you know, we always, rather than protect our kids, go, you know, sweetheart, you are tripwired for heartbreak, sorrow, sadness, disappointment. But you are so equipped to handle it. You are so, now is that not affirming? Does that not launch someone into a life, the possibility and opportunity to realize, oh yeah, there that is. Oh, my heart's broken. Oh, I gotta take a break. I gotta get over this. But it doesn't stop. It's a wonderful uh, last song that uh, Sparrow sings today that, that reflects that so beautifully. And so it's our opportunity to do this work or not, but to, to look at our lives deeply, see where the patterns are. Thomas More says that we need to become well-versed with her- hermeneutics, which is the art of reading our experience from poetry. The art of reading our lives and telling our lives from poetry. There was this young girl. There was this young boy whose parents did this, whose teachers did this, whose brothers and sisters did this. All part of the necessary ingredients to give blossom and strength and clarity and sustainability to the beauty of who and what they are. The beautiful I am that I am. 
short passage I'll share with you as I close today from Master Choa, who is a founder of Pranic Healing, and it's sort of Reiki on steroids, beautiful tradition. He says this, you are not the body, you are not the mind. Neither are you the thoughts nor the emotions. You are the I am, you are the soul, you are immortal. So it is.